Hello friends, welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coden, an interaction designer at EPEM Continuum. Let me unfold for you a metaphor. The season is swinging towards summer in my part of the world, so imagine yourself on a beach. You're sitting just at the tide line building a sandcastle, and then the waves come, so you dig a moat around the castle. More waves, a bigger moat, maybe some flying buttresses, and a little sandy seawall along the edge of the water. And still the waves come, and you build and adjust until the original castle is invisible within the complex architecture of waterworks you've constructed. If only these waves would retreat, you think, so I can get back to castle building. But that's not how tides work, and anyway, in the meantime, you've built something creative, complicated, and flexible to the ever-changing environment. So goes the ocean, and so also goes zero-trust networking, according to Mike Gorman, head of security and compliance at NetFoundry, and Boris Hazen, our global head of DRM services. As hackers and bad actors multiply in number and skill, the defenses we construct to thwart them necessarily grow and evolve as well. In other words, we need to stop trying to build a sandcastle protected by a moat and learn to make those ever-shifting waterways and earthworks integral to our construction. Zero Trust isn't a software package, it's a life philosophy for those who build software for businesses, store data, and manage access. Let's hear Mike and Boris share both their philosophy and some concrete tips for how to build against the tide. For our audience, if you can give a little bit about your background, uh, so you know they're aware of uh, your skill set and your expertise, that would be uh, great. Okay, thanks for having me, Boris. Um, my name is Mike Gorman. I'm currently the head of security and compliance for NetFoundry, uh, a U.S.-based software networking company. Um, most of my career was actually spent in wireless. Uh, I did services and networking for uh, Verizon Wireless for almost 20 years. Um, so that's that's where the majority of my networking came from. And I, I slowly moved towards cybersecurity and in various things. And then about three years ago, um, I, I moved into that role full time um, when we created the role that I'm currently in within NetFoundry. Right. Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, welcome. And um, uh, so let's begin the discussion. You know, clearly, you know, uh, cybersecurity is uh, due to the um, things that have been happening in the last few years with the privacy regulations of GDPR, CCPA, uh, you know, uh, and uh, as well as others. Uh, and, um, you know, the uh, current situa global situation of increased cyber attacks, clearly, you know, security um, is becoming more and more important and being held to a much higher standard with the, from a regulatory perspective and just out of the, ne the necessity uh, because our uh, bad guys, you know, the people trying to get at the information are becoming more sophisticated as we become more sophisticated. So, uh, you know, and the fines for the breaches are increasing uh, just out of necessity by the government because they really want uh, companies to position themselves uh, more in line of a proactive defensive uh, aspect uh, rather than uh, uh, more of a, you know, reactive post-events and all of that. Uh, how do you feel, you know, um, all of this uh, is uh, increasing the necessity of way more sophisticated, uh, you know, type of response to these attacks from cybersecurity? And are we moving, do you feel, in the direction of having 
uh, really secured private networks between, uh, you know, uh, within orga- uh, organizations as well as organization to client. So I think you're 100% correct, uh, particularly GDPR. And, and I would say up to a couple of years ago that from a business perspective, GDPR, CCPA, similar reg- regis- or regulation, pardon me, around privacy um, was the biggest driver in business risk coming up out of the privacy space, coming up out of the cybersecurity space, uh, because regulators led led by the European regulators, but globally, are becoming much more interested in maintaining privacy and, and the impacts to cybercrime and things that these breaches have. There's been a long time where they tried to encourage people, um, kind of the carrot and the stick. GDPR really brought out the stick, and a lot of other places in the world are, are following that. So we're getting some real bite, some real fines uh, around the privacy space, which is, you know, that's real money off the bottom line for companies and regulatory costs as well as the bad press. That's a significant business risk. Um, The other thing we're seeing, particularly now, um, is infrastructure type attacks. As more of our infrastructure has become digitized, um, as as it evolves, we're seeing things like here in the US, the Colonial Pipeline attack. There was an incident with a, a small water system in Florida these are health and human safety concerns. So even beyond what we talk about in terms of financial impacts or brand impacts, these are real health and life safety things as well. Um, and so we we have to find a way to to dramatically improve security. A lot of security procedures have evolved but haven't fundamentally changed since the 80s. Um, you know, architecturally, and that's and that's really where we need to start to look and develop. And and you mentioned private networks. You know, the internet is a beautiful, beautiful thing, but it's like a river system, right? Anybody can get anywhere once they're in it, and that's that's its greatest strength and its greatest weakness when you're trying to operate a business or or some other enterprise that requires security on that internet is keeping the other folks out. <laughs> so right. I think the the implementation of private networks over that commodity internet is is really where we need to go and, and evolve and get better at. Right. Um, uh, no, uh, definitely I think that is the direction uh, that eventually, if we're not moving in that direction, I think we eventually would uh, will be. Um, so, uh, sort of the, the next, uh, question I have is, so security systems, um, you know, like I said, it's becoming more important and the cost and complexity keeps rising because the bad guys, you know, are becoming more sophisticated and, uh, you know, uh, trying to jump in, but there's also an internal, uh, turmoil between the developers, uh, you know, wanting to develop key functionality and systems as um, and the cybersecurity, you know, and we are a huge, huge uh, uh, supporters of including, um, you know, GRC, Governance Risk and Compliance, which includes cybersecurity within the SDLC cycle, uh, you know, because, you uh, 
you need to start, uh, you know, addressing regulatory requirement and the cybersecurity requirements as you're developing various platforms and, uh, you know, software, um, uh, because trying to do it later, it's uh, it's a more difficult, and b it's um, uh, increases your t- SDLC cycle. And you're not addressing at the core development, and I I feel like that is really important for companies to understand to really include it within the SDLC cycle. What are your feelings about that? I I, I can't agree more. I, I think the the more we advance the information age, um, the the more we are struggling to to get a hold of our security, and the more we are struggling to you know reach the kind of business agility that we want and and all of these competing factors right um and i think a big part of that personally is we've done a lot of great work especially over the last few years the concepts of of devops and then of course devsecops that followed on and, and continuous integration in the pipelines and the automation we're doing a very good job of being able to push requirements and testing and verification, shifting them left in the SDLC, having those things taken care of earlier on. Personally, I feel we haven't gone far enough in, you know, we're addressing the OWASP top impacts. We're addressing vulnerabilities we know of and, and, you know, all of those things, but looking at it from an architectural standpoint, um, of not just the software development life cycle, but the solution development life cycle. Right. Where, you know, right now we have all of these bolt on things, right? If you, the old castle and moat mentality of enterprise in my DMZ between my inside and the outside, right. I'd have firewall, web application firewalls, intrusion detection, uh, data loss prevention, user behavior analysis. I have, I have all of these, these tool sets. Um, and if we can start to reduce those and move that functionality into the software, it's cheaper, right? it's easier. And when we're dealing today with hybrid cloud and you know, mobile edge compute and all of the different deployment things that we have going, um, simplifying that architecture by moving that into the SDLC is has a wide range of advantages. In it, and it's really the evolution we need to get to, right? To, to, right. to get beyond the last four decades. Right, uh, no, uh, definitely uh, agree with the statement you said. Um, and, um, you know, just bringing up sort of the, ne- the next uh, clear, you know, flow from this is zero trust. I think, uh, you know, uh, all of these uh, verifications and zero trust also needs to involve within the cycle to where you would, um, we really feel that um, zero trust needs to have layering uh, just in line with access management. So in other words, uh, you know, individuals have access to sort of your general information and you have one layer of zero trust, but as they start accessing more, you know, more sensitive data, such as PII, PHI, financial, merger acquisition data, and all that, 
a new layer of zero trust uh, really should be evolved uh, around those. And just like you said, developing that in the software makes it much easier than uh, providing it post uh, development and as part of your access management. So that said, uh, do you feel that zero trust um, uh, in line with access management uh, should be one of the key architectural development, uh, uh, you know, as you're layering your data based upon what data you have internally? Or do you feel that zero trust should continue to be part of access management and uh, should be layered at a later stage? You know, zero trust to me is a, it, it's a set of principles, um, and the the degree to which you you operate those pr principles uh, is very much a risk management exercise, which you just described, right? Of right. here's my, you know, confidential but not restricted information. Here's my, you know, very restricted information: PII, PHI, intellectual property, and in some you know, in, in some terms, um, and the amount of the zero trust capabilities that you deploy are certainly a, a part of that. Um, I agree that we need to move that and you need to have that available at the most atomic level, which to me is generally the application. Um, you know, you need to have that, that suite of capabilities and then how you deploy them because that has impacts on cost. It has impacts on you know, personnel time and, and, and other forms of cost, right? It's not just right. software or other costs. There's there's the ripple effect of operating the, the entire architecture um, and making those those decisions based on the risk associated with them. You know, you don't spend $100 on a lock to put on a $10 bike. Right. Um, so, so zero trust is a, Somebody once said that the best, the, the worst thing you can do or the fastest way to destroy something is name it. And I think zero trust is starting to fall into that. Okay. As long as people remember that it is a set of principles and goals. Right. Then, then it's awesome because then you can apply what's necessary. If, if you go and somebody says, here's zero trust and here's an entire architecture and this makes you zero trust, then you're getting the wrong message. Okay. So, um, so then um, what would be your view for, let's say, having a, um, in the, within the cloud type of system, an application, you know, within the application embedded, sort of a private programmable zero trust, sorry to use the word again, <laughs> uh, networking, uh, you know, that's completely transparent to users and avoid uh, lock-in to the cloud security and networking. I, the impact of that, um, obviously, is what I'm dedicated to, is is huge, okay. right? So when you, when you stop and you look at a risk management exercise or a cybersecurity exercise, we define vulnerabilities or we inventory vulnerabilities. Then you have to look at threats, the, right. the actors who could exploit those vulnerabilities. Right. And and some function of those two, depending on who you are and how you want to do it, is your risk, right? And and the entire purpose of cybersecurity is to reduce risk. Right. Vulnerabilities always exist. If if you don't know about them, then there's a zero day out there. Some security researcher, good or bad, is going to find it for you. 
um, you know, we, we recently had the, um, the log for J and, and it, you know, there's, there's these things that pop up after a long time. So they're going to be there. Um, but you can, by embedding secure network, by getting the networking piece right, you can reduce the threat actor space right. by literally orders of magnitude, right? Uh, last year, the IBM X-Force report actually put scan and exploit, so network scanning and exploiting found vulnerabilities, as the number one initial access vector for breaches, um, passing even phishing, which I didn't think would ever be unthroned or dethroned. <laughs> um, but it but it was, and and that's and that stunned me. But if you take the the networking space down to only those users with which you have a, a, a previous relationship, just like you give them username and password, right. if you can actually block the network access to that same group of people, you've gone from 7 billion potential actors right. to, I don't know, 100, 1,000, 10,000, whatever your number is. Right. Uh, but that's still a lot of zeros cut off the right side of right. that number. Um, and that's, you know, that is a, a, a huge step to truly securing your information assets. Right. So, um, so uh, let me restate what, uh, what you're trying to drive, I, I think, at. So having a private secured network between the, uh, um, your corporations and your clients, just reducing that accessibility allows you to seriously uh, um, reduce the overall risk and um, avoid, um, uh, you know, uh, major attacks, uh, you know, to a certain degree. You know, people can always try to pretend they're clients and sign on and then try to get access. But uh, just like you said, you're limiting that to, to people who are uh, at least taking a longer effort to try to infiltrate your system. Right. And, and if you're like, I mean, you, you basically just described an extranet, right? If you've, right. if you've got business partners, et cetera, then you're going to have relationships with them. Right. Um, and, and that secure networking would have, would have already gone out. So you, you've got, just like you would send somebody credentials to an application, a username and password. Right. Um, if you're sending them an identity on this secured network, it's a software construct overlay. Um, then, then you've limited it to only those persons that you can have an insider attack. Right. Um, but, but you've you know hugely reduced that um, without adding a lot of complexity. Uh, obviously, there's a, there's a little bit in terms of the, the the client software that accesses that secure network, um, right. but it could be very transparent. Uh, and that's you know there's there's so there's that from the security standpoint of, right. of reducing that and still being having the agility. Um, and when you when you look at that and you look at the ability to remove those extra security layers right. um, or reduce and simplify them, it makes maintenance easier. It makes operation easier. It makes auditing easier. It makes DR a lot easier right. when when you don't have to have this sequence of you know, firing up all of these layers of uh, of security tooling, right? 
before you can bring the application up. If the application comes up with embedded security, it's secure by default, right? Not even by design, but by default. Right. No, no user can access that application at the network layer that isn't previously authenticated and authorized when it comes up. You can't misconfigure an ACL and allow access. Right. That's a powerful, powerful difference in place to start. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, definitely, I think, very important to uh, our listeners to um, you know get a good hand on. Um, now, could you tell us? Uh, you know, uh, Net Foundry is. Um, responsible for an open source technology called OpenZitty. Uh, how is that in line based upon with what you described? It, so OpenZD is is effectively what I described. Um, OpenZD is a project founded and, and maintained by NetFoundry. It's available on GitHub. It is a series of SDKs in various languages, um, C, Go, Java, JavaScript, several others, C, C Sharp. There's there's more added Kotlin for Android um, that that embed this technology. And then uh, a series of applications, our network controller, edge router, and other parts of that network architecture that form that secure overlay. Right. All of that is open source. Um, you can go pull the binaries, you can pull the SDKs, you can compile it. We'd love you to. We'd love you to come and join the community. Uh, we want this technology out there to improve the security posture across the board. Um, of course, as a as a business, you know we we have a premium service with the support and and all of those things available, um, our console and automations and and all of the things that you know that a company with an open core model has. Um, but at the same time, ZD itself, the technology and the ability to operate it is out there for open source. And we'd love to see people using it. We'd love to see them using it in new ways that we haven't thought of. Um, and generally, like I said, to increase the security posture around the world. We're all tired of paying premiums um, because a company's got to cover a billion dollar loss due to a cybersecurity breach. Right. Um, here, here in the, like I said, here in the southeastern U.S. where I am, um, I really wish I hadn't had to pay the extra money for gas during the Colonial Pipeline shutdown. Right. <laughs> right. There's a there's yep. a lot of reasons we'd like to increase the security posture of the world. Right, and uh, I I think it's fantastic that you know this is open source. Uh, you know, EPEM is a great supporter of GitHub and uh, open source development, and uh, you know really feel that it's important for you know development um, uh, of uh, sort of the vast knowledge base to uh, to improve overall. Uh, IT, uh, I uh, you know we're we're think that this is a great open source item and people should really uh, take a look and see how it can interact and assist you with your cybersecurity. So, uh, Mike, uh, just in the last uh, minute or so, um, you know, uh, based on everything, uh, you know, we sort of discussed and we understand, I think we're in agreement that uh, where SDLC cycle needs to be the direction that we feel cybersecurity, if not moving in that direction, should be moving soon uh, because it's just, um, it would just make sense. You know, the less people having access 
to your systems um, at any point, the the better and easier to control it. Is there, um, if you, let's say, could look uh, into the future, what would you like to see, say, in five years from a, a cybersecurity perspective that you think would really be important to us? I think I'd like to see the the inclusion of more of these kind of features, right? So we've taken the the networking piece up to layer four um, with with OpenZD. I I think when you look at some of the additional um, security functions and features that are in the enterprises today, having open source, preferably projects that import the necessary parts of that. Um, into applications so that we can continue to simplify the architecture um, while still maintaining all of that that feature and functionality. And in general, moving away from a username password world um, into other forms of identity, right? We, we've, we've done a lot of push with MFA and that's great, um, but MFA is showing its weakness now and we need to move on to the next thing. Um, and I don't, I don't 100% know what that is, right? There's a lot of, of options. We use some and, and there's others, um, but preventing the ability of actors to masquerade as other actors is, I, I think, the, the, that's the golden key. Right? Right. That's, that's the golden key to cybersecurity is knowing, knowing who you're talking to right. on any given connection. And it's really really hard um, no I, I i agree and i think <laughs> this um uh COVID thing sort of uh gave us the view uh you know of with zoom and uh, uh you know meetings yep. from home uh that um you know you could do it uh you know based upon a global system well um i i Thank you very much, Mike. This was, I think, very informative. Uh, uh, I think, you know, we always try to present, uh, you know, different views and, uh, uh, you know, from different perspectives and what we uh, we have. And surprisingly, we were in agreement <laughs> on the, <laughs> the direction cybersecurity has, uh, needs to move in and uh, or is moving in already. Uh, I'd like to thank you very much for your time. It was great having you on this uh, podcast and look forward to maybe having another one in the future. Thank you very much, Boris. It was a, it was a lot of fun. It's a great topic and one I like to talk about whenever I get the chance. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Boris Hazen and Mike Gorman for the great conversation. Cheers to Kit Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coton, and I'm off to the beach. 